very good morning and a very happy Sabbath and a blessed Chinese New Year to all. You know, I think uh, Pastor James intentionally orchestrated, I think, the series of sermons to prepare the church for higher ground. If you study the book of Exodus, there's one significant character that you can never divorce him from. It's the name Moses. And, and this morning, I just want to, to highlight, uh, uh, just before we dive into Exodus chapter 18, because if you go back just to a few chapters earlier, in Exodus uh, chapter 13 to 14, the Israelites had just witnessed the tremendous miracle and intervention of God. They had just crossed the Red Sea, protected from the pursuit of the Egyptian army. And, and here they witnessed the, the presence of God that had guided them every step from the land of slavery. Now they have crossed the Red Sea and they were prepared to go into the Promised Land. And then in Exodus 15, uh, it's a long uh, uh, song uh, of celebration of what God had done to them. And then just in Exodus 16, uh, then the people began to complain. We, we, we don't have food. Uh, it's a desert. I think for some of you who have visited the Holy Land, uh, it wasn't as pretty as you think it might be. Historically and biblically, it may be rich. But I went to the Holy Land, I looked at the place, I said, wow, to be here for four days is a torture. Four hours is from a tourist perspective. Four days is a torture. Four years, I don't think it's bearable. Forty years, oh, it's out of my mind. And, and right then and there, um, they were complaining that they had without food. And the Lord said, I will provide manna for you. And so manna came down from heaven, uh, probably vegetarian in nature, and they complained because we are so used to meat in Egypt. The Lord said, I will provide quail for you. Well, so that is Exodus 16. In Exodus 17, they couldn't find water. Now, I understand. If you can find an oasis, a, a pond, or a small reservoir in, in the midst of the desert, well, that is gold. That is the best discovery you, you would have found. And then there, uh, they couldn't find water and the, the Lord performed the miracle and water gushed out from the rock and satisfied the Israelites. In fact, in, in Exodus 17, there was the battle against the Amalekites and Israel won. Now, God has few chapters in mind and then we come to the context of Exodus 18. Now, there's a problem. Because the whole book of Exodus, from the beginning of chapter 3, uh, when Moses uh, saw God at the burning bush, it is Moses the man. He is the appointed man. He is the leader. He is the guy. And everyone looked to Moses. Now imagine, uh, in the wilderness experience, it was not easy. The Bible says that at least 600,000 men, excluding women, children, grandchildren, their in-laws, their parents, old parents, uh, uh, donkeys, camels, you name it. And to move the entire nation out from Egypt into the wilderness, 
It's a miracle. And the burden on Moses had been tremendously heavy. And it is difficult for, for Moses to, to do that. And he had a problem. And so chapter 18, this is where we want to focus today. And your pastor has intentionally said that, Pastor Johnny, can you preach on this chapter, on the Jethro Principle? It's very interesting. It is called the Jethro Principle. Why didn't he call Moses' principle? God's principle. Why is it called Jethro Principle? Well, you've got to go back to the story a little bit. Uh, Moses had a wife known as Zipporah, and she is a Midianite. Now, who are the Midianites? If you go back in history, they all came from the same root. Uh, in Genesis 25, Abraham had another wife, Keturah. And one of her sons is known as Midian. And remember when Moses was in Egypt for 40 years, and after he had to escape Egypt to, to, to run away from, to save his own life, he went into the wilderness, he reached a place known as the Midian. And that's where he met his wife, Zipporah. And Zipporah's father, uh, Jethro, uh, he was a Midianite priest. And so that's the story of the background, where it is. And so, in chapter 18, uh, here, his father-in-law came and visited Moses. Now, I don't know, in this Chinese New Year, this time is unfortunate because it's only restricted to five, visit, uh, five persons to allow to visit you during this uh, Chinese New Year season. Uh, but in ancient custom, you've got to understand, they welcome families and friends to the house. Uh, Hospitality is just a, a, a built-in practice among the people. And here, uh, in Exodus 18, um, Jethro came and visited Moses. And he, he praised God. If you turn to Exodus 18, uh, the first few verses, uh, Jethro uh, praised God because uh, Moses told Jethro what God had done to his people. Wow, they praise the Lord. They say, oh, celebration. This is the time for, uh, to, to really uh, witness God's miraculous intervention upon His people and His continual provision. Because, you know, while they were in the wilderness, uh, manna came from heaven. They had the quills at night. Water gushed out from the rock. Uh, it was freezing cold at night and burning hot in the morning. So the Lord appeared as the cloud to shield them from the baking sun and a column of fire at night to provide heat and light to the entire Israel community. And so, the Israelites had witnessed miracle from God on a daily basis. And it's very interesting. You just pause here for a few moments. You will study the entire book of Exodus that in spite of witnessing God on a daily basis, His miracle, His presence, they will still go off tangent many times. It just reveals the nature of the sinful um, uh, part of our inheritance in each of us. And here in Exodus 18, Moses had a problem. Because he was exhausted, he had to minister and administer the affairs of more than 2 million or 3 million people, and every problem was brought to him. And so, we want to read this text here uh, in Chapter 18, I'm reading from the New uh, Living Translation. I think it's uh, easier for some uh, who may not be too familiar with the Scripture. But if you have your Bible, you can turn to the different translations. 
But let me read to you. Here, Moses, here Jethro saw what Moses was doing. He was witnessing to the hundreds, to the thousands, and the thousands of people, and they would come to him. And he was exhausted. He was tired. He was literally burnt out. And in verse 15 of Exodus 8, chapter 18, this is what uh, uh, Moses replied to Jethro. Because Jethro earlier said, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? Have you had someone ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's, it comes from a what? Come from a, of, of a, from a standpoint of questioning. Do you know what you're doing? And here in verse 15, Moses replied, said, because the people came to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one. Now remember, he has been the one all this time from the point of the deliverance. Now cross the Red Sea into the wilderness. Say, I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Okay. So this is known as the Jethro principle. So why is this Jethro principle? Because here, Jethro told Moses, what you're doing is not good. Okay. I have something for you. Now, before we dive into and unpack a little bit of what the Jethro principle is all about. I have a question. Why didn't God speak directly to Moses? Remember, God gave very detailed verbal instructions about the constructions of the tabernacle, the precise instructions for Israel to keep the law, the decree, and instructed Moses on every detail. So why didn't God just say to Moses, Hey, man, stop, sit down, come. Let me have a talk with you. What you're doing is not good. But why didn't God appear to Moses where he had appeared? Because if you see that two chapters from 18, Moses uh, descended from Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments. In chapter 19, uh, God gave detailed instructions pertaining to his laws and his decrees. So why didn't God talk to Moses directly, but rather send Jethro, his father-in-law to be an organizational consultant to help him in the affairs and the ministry of, of dealing with the Israelites. I think my personal understanding is this. I think when it comes to issue of salvation and God's plan for his redemption for everyone, God is absolutely clear and precise with those details. He wants to make every generation, every church, holy and trustworthy. And He is clear on every commandment and to be obeyed and every promise to be trusted. But regarding many of the affairs in life, regarding many of the secondary and administrative things in these areas, He leaves much for us to figure out. He loves to answer our prayers for guidance in those areas. But He always seems to answer indirectly. And here, he sent Jethro. My personal understanding is that he doesn't want to make us to, he doesn't want us to make an idol out of what is only meant to be helpful. So the Jethro principle, uh, because it comes from Jethro, he recommended to Moses. It is not a divine dictation. But many of these principles, probably many of you are in management, you would have understood this Jethro principle more than anyone else as you uh, orchestrate 
your organization, you plan, you execute, you understand. And, and so, the Lord has many affairs that will lead us to seek for His guidance and wisdom. But I think it is intentionally not prescribed here because many of them would think that this is a prescription. This is rather a description, a suitable for His context. Now, so you can modify and edit that. So, with, with that in mind, I believe the Lord many times, you know, people ask me, uh, or you may ask Pastor James, who should I marry, Pastor James? You know, th- does the Bible say, you know, do you flip your Bible to any page and point to any, any name? So you found a point your finger like Zipporah. Zipporah, okay. So look for Zipporah. Oh, it's very hard to find, I'll tell you first. Right? Very few uh, Christian parents would name their children Zipporah, right? Have you heard any? Uh, unlikely, right? And so, how, how does the Lord guide and direct us? Very often to the inspiration of His Spirit, to the counsel of His Word, to the wisdom of the elders, and through different people. And here, God speaks to Moses through a foreigner. He is not even, even an Israelite. His father-in-law um, uh, was a Midianite priest. Uh, and so, he, he was a foreigner, and God spoke to him. So let's just unpack briefly uh, this Jethro principle as we are study here. So, uh, Jethro told Moses, this is not good. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, you are going to wear yourself out, and the people too. The job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me. Like all mothers love to say this to their children, right? Listen to me. <laughs> listen to me, right? And let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be what? To be the people's representative before God. Bring their disputes to Him. Teach them God's decrees and give them His instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. So here, Jethro said, you can't do it all on your own. You are to represent before God, but teach your people God's instructions and show them how to live their lives. And then he says what? But select, not just anyone, but first select leaders. So select from all the people, some capable, honest men, different translations, trustworthy, uh, they mean the same thing, right? Uh, who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you and let this leader decide the smaller matter themselves. And this will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. And then Jethro said, if you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to, what? to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. Uh, some translations say, blessed way to go home. So this is Jethro principle. It's not complicated science actually. It's not quantum physics. But here, all this time, uh, Moses had been the appointed man. And here, Jethro suggests a change in culture a change in organizational structure. Now, just unpack here, uh, perhaps uh, three points for us to, to learn. Number one, Jethro advised Moses what? To teach others. This is a significant behavioral change because we know Moses has been the sole representation of Israel to God. And, and he has been the sole point of the whole Israel's organization. But here, Jethro said, go 
and teach your people. Empower them, equip them, and show them the way what God desires of them. So the teaching here is not just standing in the classroom doing it. It's about teaching them the word so that they can teach others. I appreciate what James, uh, Pastor James is doing just now. Uh, engaging the elders to preach and share the word of God. And then the young adults will have a chance. Maybe someday the ladies will have a chance too. And imagine, you know, in Nasdaq, everyone can share the word of God. Wow, hallelujah, right? Isn't it? And, and, and then the ministry load can be then accorded to different people for different purposes. And here, one key point I think is this. From the beginning of Exodus, it's all about Moses. And now Jethro said, in my language or paraphrasing it, Moses, it's no longer about you. It's not about you. It's about God. God being the center. You are the appointed leader. So, so there is a paradigm shift in this whole management. Previously, you know, everyone would come to Moses. And Moses says, uh, Moses' father-in-law observed that and said, that was not good. And, and he told him that this cultural change needs to shift. And, and, and Jethro told Moses to teach people this new culture so that they learn how to live their lives. And then they will also go on and teach others. So point number one, as we unpack a little bit. Number two, Jethro advised Moses to empower others. He says, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy, um, and who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as leaders, as officials, as judges, to rule for the affairs of the church. You know, sometimes you wonder, right, in a church, if everyone goes to the pastor, he can only manage so many relationships or everyone goes to the elders. And the elder can only manage so many relationships. But imagine if we are like Israel and we are all organized into small group, care groups, and the care group leaders, or one or two of them, will manage the affairs of the group and they, they shepherd one another, they care for one another, they minister to one another. I think that if you look forward uh, into the New Testament paradigm. That, that is how it has been designed and orchestrated. No longer just coming to Moses alone. And, and, and the background, we've got to understand. Managing 600,000 men, excluding the women and children, is a tremendous task. And so, Moses basically said, well, Moses, you are not the only level of leadership. You will appoint capable people to minister to the thousands, and those hundreds, and then fifties, and tens. Why? I think everyone is gifted differently. Everyone has different abilities, uh, different capabilities, and, and Moses says, train them, teach them, and now empower them to do the works of God. Imagine um, this, this organizational structure. It was only with Moses and Moses alone before. And now, his father-in-law suggested this paradigm shift. That it is important if Israel is to move forward, then Moses must be freed from many of these daily mundane duties. Now, question. Did God, oh, did God choose Israel because Israel was so wonderful and perfect? I mean, there were other, tribe, there were other tribal groups in, in the whole of the Middle Eastern countries. Why did God choose Israel? Be, be, because Israel was 
was, uh, was really uh, deserved to be saved. They were the uh, exemplary example for others to follow. If you look at the whole history of Israel, the Bible says that they are a stiff-necked person. You know, stiff-necked people. Very stubborn. Resistant to change. Difficult to manage. And you, you can find that right there in, uh, in Exodus. Right after they have crossed the Red Sea, they complain. And the complaint continued for, for, for a long season of time. If you look at the history, they could have, when they left Egypt to go into the Promised Land, the actual journey would only take about roughly 18 months. But because right there and there, you know, they rebelled against God. And the Lord had to make them wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years. So they spent 38 years and 6 months wandering in the desert where they could have crossed River Jordan into the Promised Land. And Moses could not do that. So he had to lead the Israelites for the next 40 years. It was a painful experience for him, isn't it? Because it was difficult. Because he saw the Promised Land. <coughs> but the Lord has His plan. And He says that Joshua, Caleb, and many other new leaders will be the ones, the younger ones, were, were arisen and they will take leadership and bring Israel to the next chapter. So, Israel was chosen not because it was so good. He was chosen to demonstrate the grace of God so that Israel could amplify the love of God and be a witness to other nations. But Moses was so brought down with many of these details that he had no time to do that. He had no time to look at ways and means for the mission of Israel. And that is why Jethro came and told Moses, you need to build a team. So this is a leadership team you know, of, of capable people, train them, equip them, and help them to administer the affairs of the church. My last point, as we unpack. Uh, if you sum up the whole experience briefly in this Jethro principle, is that Moses must focus on the majors and not in the minors. And I think Moses recognizes that from the uh, important advice from his father-in-law. And God speaks through his father-in-law, who is a Midianite. And he comes to Moses, recognizes his situation, and then he's the one who says what? This is not good. From an outsider standpoint. And Moses listened to his instructions. You know, uh, very often I think in the church, even in our own lives, we focus on the minors, isn't it? The not important stuff. The significant, uh, very critical issues, they may not be urgent, but they are very important. And I think I say that also for myself too. I think in this new quinquennium session, uh, with, with, with our current group of leaders and pastors, uh, we will continue to make significant changes, I think, in the way we run the church. I think we are small as a whole, but we can be strong. We can be a potent force for the Lord. So we need to do some reorganization. We need to listen to the voices of, of, of the wise counsels of the people and get together and see what is God's trajectory for His church right here in Singapore, and especially for SDS Church. You know, Pastor James is not leaving the ministry. He has been called to another place to serve, to enlarge the kingdom of God. So while we are still here, 
I want to urge every SDEP member at this transitional time that God will bless the church. So we look for a new shepherd that will guide the church into the next era. And, and I think God will faithfully bless this church. If we also listen to a few advice that we can extract from the words of Moses' father-in-law, that everyone can be equipped to be risen to different ministry positions. We, the church is ours. We are called to serve. You know, I think there are many things in life uh, that may seem to be important but have no eternal significant values. And from God's perspective, from God's eternal perspective, they are absolutely immaterial and a waste of time. And so I think we need to re-look at our own lives and we need to re-look at the life of this church. And I'm glad that Pastor James has been trying to do the, the, the teaching, the organisation, so that we learn to care for one another. Because the primary role of the pastor is, is not just everybody comes to him. That, that's not his primary role. The biblical role is to equip and train so that he has time for missions to look at how we can bring more people into the kingdom of God. Equip members in directly, they also bring others into the kingdom of God so that the church of God can continue to be a witness for him. You know, if you look at this thing in Exodus 19, did Moses do the job? Well, in 18, it says what? Uh, the last section of verse 18, it says in verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. What a man. Imagine Moses didn't need to listen to his father-in-law, isn't it? I mean, he was the man. He had been the man. He had been called. He witnessed the miracle of God. He was the leader. And now, his father-in-law came humbly to him and said that, Moses, that what you are doing is not good. Change. Please change. Otherwise, you will burn out and you will so get so discouraged and the whole Israel will be affected because of you. And so Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. The Bible says in verse 25, he chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They serve as judges for the people at all the times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones, they decided themselves. You know, if you turn to Numbers 36, there was a difficult issue about land inheritance and Moses was called to help. So you will find that periodically he was called. But rest of it, the affairs of Israel, basically they were handed down to different leaders of different levels to execute so that Israel can flourish. Guess how they could they survive 40 years in the wilderness without this structure? Moses would have burned out quickly. He would be so discouraged. In fact, there were times it was so difficult to handle the Israelites, isn't it? Because just two chapters from, from uh, 18, you know, he descended from Mount Sinai and they were building a golden calf to worship. And he was mad, isn't it? These people had witnessed the miracle of God on a daily basis and then they turned their back on him. But Moses had his group of leaders to look for. In fact, in uh, Exodus 19, when he went up to Mount Sinai to receive instructions from God, when he came back, the Bible says immediately what did he do? He called the elders together and told them so that they could go and tell the people. You know, I think as, as that church transit uh, in the next chapter, I, I believe the church is not focused on the pastor. 
Uh, we should not be a pastor-centric church. And the pastor has his roles. And I speak as a pastor. Uh, pastor James is speaking as a pastor. And I think if every member is trained and equipped to do the ministry of God and to enlarge the church, then the pastor can be freed from many of the mundane duties and focus on the significant challenges and focus his energy in missions to look at how we can bring more people into the kingdom of God together with his leaders. And, and if you look at this paradigm, it continues not just in, in the time of Moses, it continues all the way to the New Testament church. And one example, a uh, classic example, would be when Paul wrote to Timothy. Right? This is what he says. In, listen to the language, very similar. He says, Timothy, you have been with me. You have been my disciple. Right? You have been the leader to succeed me. And one of the leaders, in fact, he said, you have heard me teach things that have been what? Confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, <coughs> Paul said to Timothy, teach these truths to other what? Trustworthy people. Similar language, isn't it? Huh? Uh, trustworthy people, faithful people, you know, who will be able to, what? to pass on to others. So you realize that Apostle Paul understood this very well. And he maximized it in his church planting strategy. He went around planting churches. All the affairs just didn't come to him. He, he equipped competent, capable men to do an, the affairs of the church. As he went around planting new churches, looking at new grounds, new avenues for God. And I think if our church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Singapore, not just as their church, we collectively do that, I think there is hope for the future. I think there is, there, 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 there is hope for, for us as a church to move forward, to engage God's purposes in the lives of many people. You know, I think as that church has been positioned in this place, uh, in a very unique position. Uh, you know, a few years ago, we were still wondering, uh, because of the reorganization of the Southeast Asian Union uh, mission, uh, whether this place will still be uh, around uh, after the reorganization. But we are thankful to God after these few years of ups and downs, of negotiation, of deliberation and discussion, the Lord is not done with us yet. And as that church, right here in 7i, this property, and we are thankful to our church leadership uh, from the general conference to the division, to, to the union, and say that this place, 79 Thompson, this place, this building, this land, will be given to the Singapore Adventist Conference. It is yours to be used for the kingdom of God. No, we were not hoping that, but the God has blessed us richly. And we say that, you know what, because the Lord has blessed us, we need to use this building. And I think the building is just the external facade. More importantly, the church, the people, that we need to say that, God, thank you for that. And we can, we can look forward to a better future to come. And how can we engage this church in a more meaningful way to equip, to train, to empower, so that as that church will move forward in her mission, in her ministry, and in the amplification of God's grace and love to the people within the church, outside the church, in this community and beyond. And I pray that the Lord will bless us richly and mightily. You know, I think uh, this church is placed here not by accident. I think each of you 
who is here this morning is not by accident or mere coincidence. I think the Lord has His timing. The Spirit of God is pursuing each of us to extreme measure so that we may come back to experience God's grace and love and be enriched. And then, taking on the Jethro principle and say, the Lord, if this is what you have recommended for the church, how can we do it in this church? For your glory, for your honour, and for your mission. May the Lord bless this church in a mighty way as we look forward to what God will do in us, for us, and through us. Bless you. Let's all raise for the closing song. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen.